Thank you so much. All right. Well, good morning. I hope you've had a good time so far today. And uh, crazy. Jason, my goodness. Where'd he go? Wow. We didn't know what we were getting into today. Man, oh, man. All right, I'm having technical difficulties. Sometimes, sometimes technology just doesn't work. So we'll have to put that away. Well, Merry Christmas to you guys. And it's good to see some faces we haven't seen in a while. Um, welcome. I hope you have a great, uh, great celebration, a holiday celebration um, this week with family and people visiting from out of town, out of state. I don't know if there's any out of countries here, but we welcome you. And uh, I just want to get right into the message today. I just got a short message. I feel like uh, God laid something very powerful on my heart that I want to share with you. Um, as always, we welcome our live stream audience, and uh, we celebrate you. Thank you always for joining in. Um, people from out, throughout the world join in uh, to the live stream, and it's amazing uh, to connect and be able to be a blessing to other people. If you like the messages, uh, I want to encourage you to take time at some point during the day to share them because it does allow us to use technology to advance the gospel um, and so your friends can see uh, what's going on and hear a message that could be challenging to them and you never know what God does in the middle of that. We've gotten amazing, amazing feedback on that. So um, today I want to talk to you. You know, there's not a lot of uh, uh, story tied to the birth of Jesus. Matthew 2 talks about the birth of Jesus, and Luke 2 predominantly uh, talks about the birth of Jesus. And I, I want to share with you something I've never preached on before. Uh, it is out of one of those passages, but I, I see something in there that I had not seen before, and it is from the story of the wise men, because they're wise, they're called wise men for a very specific reason. And so today I want to share with you a message uh, called Wisdom from the Wise Men. There's something that I believe can profoundly help us if we were to um, look, at, look at their wisdom. In fact, I, I sort of want to take the angle, like if you were to able to ask them questions or if they were able to speak into your life, what kind of wisdom would they give you? What would they say were significant aspects of, of their moment? I mean... They're not mentioned in Scripture apart from, these specific ones are not mentioned in Scripture apart from Matthew chapter 2. And so, uh, if we were able to walk with them or hear from them, what would they say? And so, I want to start off by sharing with you a little Christmas wisdom before I get into the story uh, from Matthew 2. And that's this. There was, I love this story because, um, you know, there's wisdom. God gives wisdom to people. We understand that, right? And I love the story of this little girl. She was asked, did you get everything you asked for for Christmas? And she paused for a minute, and uh, she thought about it. And her response was this, very telling, very wise response. No, I didn't, but it's not my birthday. It's not my birthday. A little kid. And sometimes we as adults and, you know, younger people can get caught up in the, the moment of Christmas and miss the whole meeting. And yet, this little, what a wise response. And the Bible says in Proverbs 3.20, it says this. Uh, 
in, in Proverbs 3.20, it says, walk with the wise and become wise. So today, we want to just take a little journey with the wise men. Uh, for a few minutes, take a little journey with the wise men, and I believe through that we'll become wiser. Amen? I want to share with you the story in Matthew chapter 2. In verse 1, it starts off, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, this is after, I want to note that, after Jesus was born. And he was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the time of King Herod, Magi, or also known as wise men, these, these men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they're following this star. They arrive in Jerusalem, and they're asking, how can we find this one that was born king of the Jews? Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet wrote, has written. This is Micah 5, uh, verse 5, chapter 2, chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, the wise men, secretly and found out from them exactly the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too, I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So mysteriously, the star is guiding them specifically to the place where Jesus, the newborn king, was located at that time. Verse 10, it says, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his, Mary, his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we're going to walk with the wise men for a moment, because... In reality, I would have a lot of questions if I were to be able to stand before them. What in the world happened? How did you know? I mean, what drove you to do what you did? And, and so I would have a lot of questions for them. It's important to note that the first people that Matthew, in his gospel notes, came to see Jesus were people from many, many, many miles away. The first people, and yet they, when they arrived in Jerusalem, which was about five miles from Bethlehem, they were asking the people of Jerusalem where this king of the Jews had been born. There were, there were religious people, people who had devoted their lives, which were able to, uh, 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 with verbatim, or, uh, verbatim quote scriptures from the Old Testament. I want you to see this for a moment. People traveled from afar to come to this place, but yet people from a few miles away had no interest in finding this kid, this newborn baby. These religious people, these people who were, were passionate about God, these people that were going after God, that, 
Everything that they did was surrounded by God. Their, their sacrifices, the, way, the clothes they wore, the food they ate, all of the regulations, all of the laws, they missed their moment. And yet these people from afar, strangers to the God of the Bible, as far as we know, found this baby Jesus. That's intriguing to me. That's, that's interesting to me. And so we, we find these astrologers being able to track somehow, supernaturally, and, and trace out where this baby, the king of the Jews, was, was born. And Matthew chooses to stamp his Christmas story and, and, and leave this mark. Uh, Luke does different. He, he talks about, Luke talks about the, the uh, shepherds that had angels appear to him. But Matthew stamps his story displaying what I would say is God's influence over everything. Even the stars are, are rearranged. The constellations move on behalf of this God or at the order of this God. And this is Matthew's marquee moment to describe how significant the birth of this son is. Matthew takes the time to talk about these wise men who no one knows about and no one uh, ever hears from again. In fact, who are these wise men? We know that they come from the east. Uh, it's believed that they were pagan, meaning not God worshipers. Um, and... It's believed that they could have come as far as, ba uh, as Persia, like Babylon area, which was roughly a thousand miles away. And, and they rode by camel. It's believed that they rode or traveled by camel. So I'm interested and I'm looking up, how far can someone travel in a day on a camel? And, the, you know, the Google, which has all the answers to <laughs> life's, life's questions, told me, which I believe, I believe Google, okay? Google said between 30 and 40 miles a day. So if it is, now we don't know. Okay, we don't know where they came from. But speculation has it that they're from the, the Persia Babylon, Babylon area, which is roughly 1,000 miles a day, or 1,000 miles away, and they would have traveled maybe 30, 40 miles. So we don't know who they are. We don't know where they came from. But if they came from there, which is the Persian area, it would have been a very long trek, a very long, uh, uh, arduous journey. And, you know, one of the things we don't know about him is how many were there. Tradition says that there were three. And tradition even assigns names to these wise men. But that's tradition. The Bible doesn't tell us this. Uh, a lot of times uh, people conclude that there were three because there were three specific gifts that they left for the child. And so they associate one gift per person. And, but, but we really, we don't really know. Let me tell you something about uh, travel in those days. It was very uncommon for people to ever in their lifetime go beyond 35 miles from their, from their place of birth. Very uncommon. So for these people to travel many, many, many miles was an extremely uncommon thing. It would be sort of like in our day, if you think in your life the adventure of my lifetime was, you know, maybe you went to Europe or maybe you traveled to some other continent that uh, just left a mark on your life. 
It, it wouldn't be like that in those days. They didn't have the convenience of the kind of travels that we have today. So this was, this was out of the norm for them. And yet they choose to do it. And they're called wise. They're called wise. And so we want to find out why were they called wise. This would mark probably one of the most uh, significant expeditions in all of human history. And so we, we want to we um, be wise ourselves or become wise by, by learning from the wise men. And I want to just share with you very quickly three thoughts related to this story that I just read to you that I believe the wise men, if we were walking with them, would say to us. This is, again, my, my thinking about what they would say. The first one is this. Seeking God is your response to him seeking you. Seeking God is your response to him seeking you. Now, these men, these men traveled from afar. And for many of us in this room, whether we know it or not, whether, whether we've responded to that God, to, to the God who seeks us, he, he is in the process of seeking us. He's in the process of drawing us. For these men, they were led by a star. Who do you think initiated that? Who do you think identified that? Who do you think gave them the wisdom to conclude that this star is significant? And we don't know, we don't know that they ever heard the voice of God or how they landed in that conclusion of this is the star that will lead us to the king of the Jews. We don't know that they've ever heard God's voice. But who do you think initiated all that? Do you think that it was their, their positive thinking? Do you think it was their hopefulness or, or, boy, I wish something dynamic would happen in our lives. And boom, mysteriously the star is like, there it is. Let's follow it. No, this is, it is them responding to the God who is seeking them. We need to understand that God, God is, is passionate about seeking all of mankind and drawing mankind to himself. Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can come to God unless the Spirit draws them. So they're responding to something God initiated. You understand that? And maybe you have responded. Maybe you're sitting here and, and you have responding to, responded to, to God's drawing. But let me tell you something. If I could give you a bit of advice, and I think the, the wise men would say something like this, don't ever stop responding. Don't ever stop seeking the one who is seeking after you. Because maybe, maybe like them, you found what you were initially looking for, but you didn't find all you're looking for. There's so much more to be discovered. There's so much more reality that God wants to reveal. And so uh, the wise men, I think, would say, seeking God is your response to him seeking you. And I also want to say this, that in your seeking, you can be close and yet not close enough. Like, what's another way to, what, another way to say that? Um, well, let's think about the birthplace. Let's think about the story we read that was quoting from the Old Testament. Um, you know, where Jesus, Jesus, his coming was documented somewhere in the Old Testament. It was, it was prophesied uh, about the future, it, it, to happen in the future. 
And there was a lot of people that were close, but not close enough. They could quote to you verse uh, and book. They could quote to you the estimated time. They could quote to you the signs of the times. These are people that graced the doors of the temple daily, regularly. They heard the word of God daily. These, these, are, these are people that were, uh, that were known as people of God. And yet, for somehow, someway, it didn't end up being for them close enough. They were physically, uh, they were about five miles, five miles from the place that Jesus was born. But we never, we never read anything about them ever going to, could this be? Going to Bethlehem, could this be that the Christ is being born or has been born? We never read that there's some, uh, some inclination to discover what these wise men traveled so far to discover by the religious folks. And this, could, this should hit us hard. I mean, it hits me hard. That you could be close, but not close enough. You could, you could be in church on a Sunday, every Sunday. You, you could... You could be doing the right things and, and living a God-honoring life. And yet God wants to reveal more to you. And you could miss it. That to me is, is a sobering thought. You know? Religion sometimes can creep in and blind us to the reality of what God's doing. Because he did it this way 10 years ago. And it's our expectation that he's going to do it this way for us next time he does it. So we're just waiting for that. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That We need to be very careful and stay in tune with the Spirit of God. Because in reality, who should have been the ones that found the Messiah? The religious people. They knew more than these wise men. And yet it was the religious people, excuse me, it was the wise men that, that found him. And about them, this is amazing to me. They had no... They had no map. They had no trails that were blazed before them. They had no tour guide. They just had this star. I mean, did you ever try and follow a star? Neither have I. But I don't imagine it would be all that simple. Yet something drove them. They were seeking after the one that had sought after them. If we could just step back for a moment and and stand before the mirror... And look at ourselves personally, our lives personally. I would ask this question. Maybe, maybe as we look at ourselves in the mirror, am I seeking after the one who's seeking after me? Am I responding to his, his promptings? The one who, who, who's drawing me? The one uh, who I know for a fact made it possible for me to be alive today because you know, he, averted, he helped me avert this accident or, or saved me through this, or spoke to me through this, or the one I encountered years ago. Are we seeking after the one who's seeking after us? I believe the wise men would encourage us to do just that. The second thought I, I have related to this passage is this. Having joy, having joy is the evidence that you found the God you're seeking after. Having joy is the evidence that you found the God you're seeking after. In verse 10, it says this, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, the star was the thing that was leading 
them to this Christ child. They, they were in Jerusalem at this time, and, and the star led them to Jerusalem first. And they needed to, just as a side note, you don't discover Christ apart from the scriptures. Right? Those scriptures had to be revealed to cause them to begin to look in the right direction and see, oh, there is the star. The star may have reappeared. The, the star may have been clouded for some reason. But they ended up in Jerusalem and then traveled to Bethlehem. And in Jerusalem, that is where that they began to discover that, oh, the star is over Bethlehem. It's like from here to Valley Drive, going down Seneca Turnpike. I mean, it was close. And they were overjoyed because they realized, we are, we, this, is, this is, it's about to happen. The thing that we've long awaited for, the thing that we've committed so much of ourselves to, the, the pursuit that we've been doing, you know, the expenses and the, and the time that we've invested, it, it's here. So let me tell you, having joy is evidence that you found the God that you're, that you're seeking after. It's an evidence. They were overjoyed. Now, the word that's translated in the NIV does the reality of what is spoken in Greek, no justice whatsoever. That word, overjoyed, could have easily been translated in another way, like rejoice. They were rejoicing. They were excited. But let me tell you about the words in the Greek. There were four words used in the Greek that were uh, summarized as overjoyed. Four words. Four words used in the Greek. Uh, The New American Standard puts it this way. What the NIV says overjoyed, the New American Standard says, they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Think about that. They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. The Passion says this, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. The JCT version says this, they acted like little kids at a candy store. That's actually my, those are my initials, JCT, just so you know. I, I think it's a little bit more than, hey, there's a star, man, cool, let's go. They, I mean, there's, there's something significant that happened in that moment. And, and I want to just say, uh, tied to that whole thing that, um, that, uh, If we stop and think about this word joy for a moment, even in the book of Luke, the angels appear and they say this. They say that uh, we bring great good news of great joy. The the angels spoke to the shepherds announcing the, the imminent birth of Jesus Christ. We bring good news of great joy, which is which is the gospel The the good news is that Jesus has come. Jesus said in John 15 about joy, he said, um, he said, if I can find it really quickly. uh, Oh, it's not in here. He he said something like, um, and you will, you'll have my joy and your joy. I will give you my joy and your joy will be complete. Can I tell you something? If we've encountered this Jesus, I think there should be a lot more joy. I mean, we should be the most joyous people on the face of the planet. Joy is not a smiley face when you walk in the door and see another Christian. Joy is not, I'm good when things are not good. That's not what I'm talking about. Joy is not, I'm happy, happy, happy. That's not, joy is, joy, see, happiness is a lower level 
Joy is this thing that is inside of you. Despite what's going on around you, despite what's going on emotionally, despite your circumstances, happiness is circumstantial. Joy is, is this solid foundation based upon hope that only God can give, based upon promises that God has made that will be fulfilled. Joy is, is, is based on the fact that, you know, things like Jesus said, that you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat, how you're going to be provided for, the clothing you wear, because it's his promise to provide. We can have joy. It's a, solid, it's a fact, right? We don't have to walk in anxiousness because of what God has done. And this, you know, I'm not going to stand here and promise you that, uh, you know, everything goes good in your life when you, when you give your life to Jesus Christ. I can't say that. In fact, I mean, the church is mourning. The church family is mourning over the loss of a dear family member. When Freddie Gallo graduated on Thursday night. You know, we're, we're mourning over this. But the joy is, is found in this. And Amy told me this this morning. I know what Freddie's doing now. He's got his grandchildren on his lap. He's giving them nicknames. He's dancing the streets of gold. But that doesn't mean we don't hurt here. We're, we're not happy about what happened. Well, we can take joy in the, the, the reuniting that's promised in God, right? It, it's tough. We, in this world, we're going to have trouble. We go through things, and as a family, we stick together. We encourage one another, and we stand with one another. And Amy, we love you. We stand with you. Delena, we love you, and the whole Reyes family, because everyone's, everyone's hurting. But I can't imagine where you guys are at right now in this moment. So we stand with you. So, so we've got to find a way to tap into this joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. It is like the hallmark of the Christian faith. If you think about fruit of the Spirit, if, and I don't know if this is true, but if, if the Holy Spirit intended to list them in order of priority, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. The second one, right after love. I mean, you think about that. Joy is a big deal in the kingdom of God, right? And, and I just feel like, Christians should really tap into the reality of what God is doing in that realm. Because we can have hope. We, we, can, we can cling to joy. And that should, see, joy inside should make us smile more. Yeah. It should make us laugh more. It should, should help us to get through the tough times. This is, this is what God intended through this whole thing. Actually, you know, Paul writes, the kingdom of God is righteousness peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to invent this stuff. I mean, this is God's idea. You understand? So, back to the first thought that I think the wise men would, would teach us if they had the ability to talk to us directly. Seeking God is your response to Him seeking you. The second one is having joy is evidence that you found the God that you're seeking after. And here's the final one. I'm just going to close in just a couple minutes. It is worth it to sell out to the one worthy of your worship. It's worth it. 
It's worth it to sell out to the one worthy of your worship. They went all in. Do you understand? In verse 11, it says that they, they saw the child and his mother, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Did you ever see someone bowing down and worshiping an infant? That is the odd. I mean, in the natural, if you just start to look at this and think about this, they're bowing down and worshiping a newborn child. We don't know exactly how old Jesus was at this time, how many days, months, could he have been a year. We don't know, but this is after he had been born, the wise men. In fact, let me just, you know, your manger scene. They probably didn't arrive while Joseph and Mary were still in the manger, but it is possible. But they did arrive, and they did bow down, and they did worship him. And they brought gifts to this infant of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, let me tell you about worship. Worship is the act of acknowledging that uh, someone is greater than you, pretty much. You know, acknowledging that, um, that Jesus, in this case, Jesus is the Messiah, they, that's why they traveled. That's why they sold out. That's why they left home and family. And uh, most scholars believe that this was not three people. They believe that it was a mighty caravan. That's why all of Jerusalem was so disturbed. What is going on? It's not just three innocent, humble, little, at least this is what scholars believe. It probably wasn't. They probably traveled with a caravan of camels and gifts. I mean, massive amounts of gifts. If we just read it at surface level, we think, okay, this little cupcake size of gold and little <laughs> cupcake size of frankincense and more. No, there were probably camel loads of gifts. So much so that uh, many people who have studied history and things like that believe that it was used to sustain the family while they're in Egypt, provide for them financially, take care of their needs. But Let me just tell you about these gifts really quick. Gold is a gift for a king. And by giving that gift of gold, which it could have been hundreds and hundreds of pounds for all we know of gold. They were acknowledging, these wise men were acknowledging that Jesus was the king. In fact, they even said it in Matthew 2 too. We have come to worship the king of the Jews. They gave frankincense, which is a gift uh, for a priest because Jesus ultimately was our, he became our high priest. Frankincense. And by giving this gift, they acknowledged not only that he was a priest, but the one who would bring us to God. That's what priests do. They represent God before the people and, and the people before God. And by giving myrrh, which was an embalming spice, it was, a, it was used to embalm the dead which was by giving this, they were acknowledging that Jesus had come to die for the sins of the world. Very symbolic gifts, very powerful as to why they came from afar. Listen to me, there's no expense too great to give to this King of kings and Lord of lords. There's no expense too great. And so... I believe they would say today, which I said in different words, I would say they believe, I believe they would say today, sell out for this one. Give everything, uh, every aspect of your life to this king. It is worth it. And we here were today, you know, we have trees 
uh, in our house that are decorated and beautiful and gifts under those trees. And we're focused on finishing our Christmas list. But the reality is this. The wise men, their lives and their actions shout a message to us that is, it's nearly impossible to ignore if we really look at their actions. We don't want to be the kind of people that, uh, although religious, wouldn't even you know, lift a finger to worry about, could this be him? He was the long-awaited Savior. He had been waited, been waited upon by the Jewish people, the Israelites, for hundreds upon hundreds of years. And they, to our knowledge, didn't do anything to find out, could this be? Could this be the one? And yet someone pagan, non-God worshipers, as far as we know, would come hundreds, maybe thousands of miles to acknowledge that this is him. We want to be on the front lines. We want to be people that say, you know, I am all in. I love what they represent. I love the example that they give. And I don't want to be representative, representative of religious people that miss, miss the moment, miss everything about what God's trying to do. They sold out. Who knows what it took for them to get all of those presents that were presented to God that day. Jesus Christ, the baby, the Messiah. But they sold out. And, and I'm asking you today, you know, as a Christian, I would challenge you to sell out. Don't let other people, like, like Jesus said, you know, some, somebody's going to worship me, and if you don't, the rocks are going to cry out. Don't let other things take your place. Stand in the gap for you, because you have a choice to make. And if you're here today and you've never truly given your life to Jesus, it is a great day to sell out. We acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. We acknowledge him as the one who can take away all guilt, all shame, the one who can make us clean, the one who can restore a relationship with God that we feel comfortable entering into his presence. This is that same Jesus. We worship him at his birth, but he really came to die. For you and me. That's why he was born on this earth. He emptied himself and came to die for you and me. And if you're one of those people who is yet to say, you know what? I am going to accept him as my Lord and Savior. It is so simple. I could give you words, but the words really don't matter as much as understanding what you're doing. It's really about what, what is going on in your heart. Jesus, I want, I want to receive what you came to give. He's the ultimate gift giver. In fact, it's the Father through Jesus that's the ultimate gift giver. Because it says, for God so loved the world. See, he loves you. He loves you. That's why he came. That he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And you can make that choice today. In your heart. By saying, God, I, I want... I want what you have for me. Young people, you may have sat in churches, church services for years and not truly given your life to Jesus. I challenge you, do that today. He is worth selling out for. He is worth giving your all for. We may be religious in nature and miss the reality that Jesus came to be Lord of our lives. Young and old, it's time to make that decision. And I challenge you to do that today.
We're going to have a ministry team up here that can give you details of that. But it is as simple as saying, I receive. I, I understand, Jesus, what you came to do. And I receive that from my life. I receive forgiveness. I thank you that his blood was shed for me. It's, if that's you, if you're making that choice today, we would love to know that. We would stand with you. We can, we can give you some help and encouragement how to walk this thing out. But make that choice today. For all the rest of us who call out, have called on Jesus Christ as Lord, sell out. No, no more halfway. No more halfway. We go to the ends of the earth like these, like these wise men. Like it is worth it. It is worth it to stand out. Think about their family for a moment. What You're doing what? You're following a, what? You're following a star? Are you crazy? And yet, when they found what they were looking for, they were overjoyed. Come on. Our God is amazing, and he's worthy of all of our worship. I want to close in prayer. Would you stand to your feet? We'll end this service. I really want you to be introspective of where you're at. We all get caught up in going through the motions. But is that really the best for us? Sell out. Sell out for this God. He is worth it. Let's pray together. Father, today we give you all the praise, Lord. I pray that we can glean wisdom from the lives and the actions of these wise men. I pray, Lord, that their their words and their actions would stir our hearts deeply, Lord. Compel us forward. Drive us, God, to stand before you and say, count me in. Lord, you are worth it. We celebrate your birth. We celebrate your life. We celebrate your death and resurrection. And because of what you've done, we stand with you to say, God, we are yours. We thank you for this Christmas season. I ask that you bless every person, every family. Comfort, Father God. Comfort our loved ones, God, who need comfort in God. And we give you all the praise right now. We give you all the praise. We declare you are worth it. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. We love you.